0: Book 3 Chapter 16 of Principles of Political Economy This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Principles of Political Economy by John Stuart Mill Abridged by J. Lawrence Laughlin Chapter 16 of The Foreign Exchanges Section 1 money passes from country to country as a medium of exchange through the exchanges. We have thus far considered the precious metals as a commodity, imported like other commodities in the common course of trade, and have examined what are the circumstances which would in that case determine their value. But those metals are also imported in in another character that which belongs to them as a medium of exchange not as an article of commerce to be sold for money but as themselves money to pay a debt or effect a transfer of property money is sent from one country to another for various purposes the most usual purpose however is that of payment for goods to show in what circumstances money actually passes from country to country for this or any of the other purposes mentioned it is necessary briefly to state the nature of the mechanism by which international trade is carried on when it takes place not by barter but through the medium of money in practice, the exports and imports of a country not only are not exchanged directly against each other, but often do not even pass through the same hands. Each is separately bought and paid for with money. We have seen, however, that even in the same country, money does not actually pass from hand to hand each time that purchases are made with it. And still less does this happen between different countries. The habitual mode of paying and receiving payment for commodities between country and country is by bills of exchange. A merchant in the United States, A, has exported American commodities, consigning them to his correspondent, B, in England. Another merchant in England, C, has exported English commodities, suppose of equivalent value, to a merchant, D, in the United States it is evidently unnecessary that b in england should send money to a in the united states and that d in the united states should send an equal sum of money to c in england the one debt may be applied to the payment of the other and the double cost and risk of carriage be thus saved a draws a bill on b for the amount which b owes to him d having an equal amount to pay in england buys this bill from a and sends it to c who at the expiration of the number of days which the bill has to run presents it to b for payment thus the debt due from england to the united states and the debt due from the united states to england are both paid without sending an ounce of gold or silver from one country to the other this implies if we exclude for the present any other international payments than those occurring in the course of commerce, that the exports and imports exactly pay for one another, or in other words, that the equation of international demand is established. When such is the fact, the international transactions are liquidated without the passage of any money from one country to the other but if there is a greater sum due from the united states to england than is due from england to the united states or vice versa the debts cannot be simply written off against one another after the one has been applied as far as it will go toward covering the other this balance must be transmitted in the precious metals in point of fact the merchant who has the amount to pay will even then pay for it by a bill when a person has a remittance to make to a foreign country, he does not himself search for someone who has money to receive from that country and ask him for a bill of exchange. In this, as in other branches of business, there is a class of middlemen, or brokers, who bring buyers and sellers together, or stand between them buying bills from those who have money to receive and selling bills to those who have money to pay when a customer comes to a broker for a bill on paris or amsterdam the broker sells to him perhaps the bill he may himself have bought that morning from a merchant perhaps a bill on his own correspondent in the foreign city and to enable his correspondent to pay when due all the bills he has granted he remits to him all those which he has bought and has not resold. In this manner, these brokers take upon themselves the whole settlement of the pecuniary transactions between distant places, being remunerated by a small commission or percentage on the amount of each bill which they either sell or buy. Now, if the brokers find that they are asked for bills on the one part, to a greater amount than bills are offered to them on the other they do not on this account refuse to give them but since in that case they have no means of enabling the correspondents on whom their bills are drawn to pay them when due except by transmitting part of the amount in gold or silver they require from those to whom they sell bills an additional price sufficient to cover the freight and insurance of the gold and silver with a profit sufficient to compensate them for their trouble and for the temporary occupation of a portion of their capital this premium as it is called the buyers are willing to pay because they must otherwise go to the expense of remitting the precious metals themselves and it is done cheaper by those who make doing it a part of their especial business but though only some of those who have a debt to pay would have actually to remit money all will be obliged by each other's competition to pay the premium and the brokers are for the same reason obliged to pay it to those whose bills they buy the reverse of all this happens if on the comparison of exports and imports the country instead of having a balance to pay has a balance to receive the brokers find more bills offered to them than are sufficient to cover those which they are required to grant bills on foreign countries consequently fall to a discount and the competition among the brokers which is exceedingly active, prevents them from retaining this discount as a profit for themselves, and obliges them to give the benefit of it to those who buy the bills for purposes of remittance. When the United States had the same number of dollars to pay to England, which England had to pay to her, one set of merchants in the United States would want bills, and another set would have bills to dispose of for the very same number of dollars, and consequently, a bill on England for a $1,000 would sell for exactly a $1,000, or, in the phraseology of merchants, the exchange would be at par as england also on this supposition would have an equal number of dollars to pay and to receive bills on the united states would be at par in england whenever bills on england were at par in the united states if however the united states had a larger sum to pay to england than to receive from her there would be persons requiring bills on england for a greater number of dollars than there were bills drawn by persons to whom money was due a bill on england for a thousand dollars would then sell for more than a thousand dollars and bills would be said to be at a premium the premium however could not exceed the cost and risk of making the remittance in gold together with a trifling profit because if it did the debtor would send the gold itself in preference to buying the bill if on the contrary the united states had more money to receive from england than to pay there would be bills offered for a greater number of dollars than were wanted for remittance and the price of the bills would fall below par a bill for a thousand dollars might be bought for somewhat less than a thousand dollars and bills would be said to be at a discount when the United States has more to pay than to receive, England has more to receive than to pay, and vice versa. When, therefore, in the United States, bills on England bear a premium, then in England, bills on the United States are at a discount. And when bills on England are at a discount in the United States, bills on the United States are at a premium in England. If they are at par in either country, they are so as we have already seen in both thus do matters stand between countries or places which have the same currency so much of barbarism however still remains in the transactions of the most civilized nations that almost all independent countries choose to assert their nationality by having to their own inconvenience and that of their neighbors a peculiar currency of their own to our present purpose this makes no other difference than that instead of speaking of equal sums of money we have to speak of equivalent sums by equivalent sums when both currencies are composed of the same metal are meant sums which contain exactly the same quantity of the metal in weight and fineness comment the quantity of gold in the english pound is equivalent to four point eight six 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 plus dollars of our gold coins if the bills offered are about equal to those wanted a claim to a pound in england will sell for four dollars and eighty six cents if many are wanted and but few to be had their price will go up of course but it cannot go more than a small fraction beyond four dollars and ninety cents since about three and a quarter cents is sufficient to cover the brokerage insurance and freight per pound sterling in a shipment of gold to london therefore in order to get money to a creditor in london no one will pay more for a pound in the form of a bill than he will be obliged to pay for sending it across in the form of bullion bills of exchange then cannot rise in price beyond the point of four dollars and ninety cents plus since rather than pay a higher sum for a bill gold will be sent this point is called the shipping point of gold when the exchanges are at four dollars and ninety cents it will be found that gold is going abroad on the other hand when the supply of bills is greater than the demand their price will fall a man having a bill on london to sell that is a claim to a pound in london will not sell it at a price here lower than four dollars and eighty six cents by more than the expense of bringing the gold itself across since this expense is about three and a quarter cents bills cannot fall below about four dollars and eighty three cents when exchange is at that price it will be found that gold is coming to the united states from england the price is the shipping point for imports of gold this of course applies to the site bills only formerly we computed exchange on a scale of percentages the real par being about a hundred and nine this was given up after the war end of comment when bills on foreign countries are at a premium it is customary to say that the exchanges are against the country, or unfavorable to it. In order to understand these phrases, we must take notice of what the exchange, in the language of merchants, really means. It means the power which the money of the country has of purchasing the money of other countries. Supposing $4.86 to be the exact par of exchange then when it requires more than a thousand dollars to buy a bill of two hundred and five pounds one thousand dollars of american money are worth less than their real equivalent of english money and this is called an exchange unfavorable to the united states the only persons in the united states however to whom it is really unfavorable are those who have money to pay in england for they come into the bill market as buyers and have to pay a premium but to those who have money to receive in england the same state of things is favorable for they come as sellers and receive the premium the premium however indicates that a balance is due by the united states which must be eventually liquidated in the precious metals and since according to the old theory the benefit of a trade consisted in bringing money into the country this prejudice introduced the practice of calling the exchange favorable when it indicated a balance to receive and unfavorable when it indicated one to pay and the phrases in turn tended to maintain the prejudice section two distinction between variations in the exchanges which are self-adjusting and those which can only be rectified through prices it might be supposed at first sight that when the exchange is unfavorable or in other words when bills are at a premium the premium must always amount to a full equivalent for the cost of transmitting money but a small excess of imports above exports or any other small amount of debt to be paid to foreign countries does not usually affect the exchanges to the full extent of the cost and risk of transporting bullion. The length of credit allowed generally permits, on the part of some of the debtors, a postponement of payment, and in the meantime the balance may turn the other way, and restore the equality of debts and credits without any actual transmission of the metals and this is more likely to happen as there is a self-adjusting power in the variations of the exchange itself bills are at a premium because a greater money value has been imported than exported but the premium is itself an extra profit to those who export besides the price they obtain for their goods they draw for the amount and gain the premium it is on the other hand a diminution of profit to those who import besides the price of the goods they have to pay a premium for remittance so that what is called an unfavorable exchange is an encouragement to export and a discouragement to import and if the balance due is of a small amount and is the consequence of some merely casual disturbance in the ordinary course of trade it is soon liquidated in commodities and the account adjusted by means of bills without the transmission of any bullion not so however when the excess of imports above exports which has made the exchange unfavorable arises from a permanent cause in that case what disturbed the equilibrium must have been the state of prices and it can only be restored by acting on prices it is impossible that prices should be such as to invite to an excess of imports and yet that the exports should be kept permanently up to the imports by the extra profit on exportation derived from the premium on bills for if the exports were kept up to the imports bills would not be at a premium and the extra profit would not exist it is through the prices of commodities that the correction must be administered disturbances therefore of the equilibrium of imports and exports and consequent disturbances of the exchange may be considered as of two classes the one casual or accidental which if not on too large a scale correct themselves through the premium on bills without any transmission of the precious metals the other arising from the general state of prices which cannot be corrected without the subtraction of actual money from the circulation of one of the countries, or an annihilation of credit equivalent to it. It remains to observe that the exchanges do not depend on the balance of debts and credits with each country separately, but with all countries taken together. The United States may owe a balance of payments to England, but it does not follow that the exchange with england will be against the united states and that bills on england will be at a premium because a balance may be due to the united states from holland or hamburg and she may pay her debts to england with bills on those places which is technically called arbitration of exchange there is some little additional expense partly commission and partly loss of interest, in settling debts in this circuitous manner. And to the extent of that small difference, the exchange with one country may vary apart from that with others. Comment. A common use of bills of exchange is that by which, when three countries are concerned, two of them may strike a balance through the third, if both countries have dealings with that third country new york merchants may buy of china but china may not be buying of new york and although both may have dealings with london end of comment a we will suppose is a buyer of a thousand pounds worth of tea from f in hong kong b is an exporter of wheat a thousand pounds to c in london d has sent a thousand pounds worth of cotton goods to E in Hong Kong. A can now pay F through London without the transmission of coin. A buys B's claim on C for a thousand pounds and sends it to F. E wishes to pay D in London for the cotton goods he bought of him. Therefore, he buys from F for a thousand pounds the claim he now holds—that is, a bill of exchange on London—against C for a thousand dollars. E sends it to D, and when D collects it from C, the whole circle of exchanges is completed without the transmission of the precious metals. End of Book 3 Chapter 16